0: Another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by TheLines.com. You can follow TheLines on Twitter, at TheLinesUS. You can follow Mo on Twitter, my co-host, of Beat the Closing Number, at MoNuwara, two Ws. Mo, I confirmed it for you. Your Instagram handle is the same as your Twitter handle, in case you were wondering for about three weeks.
1: I wasn't wondering.
0: (laughs) Well, that... (laughs) That shows how much you care about social media, to be fair. And you could follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. Mo, I do want to give you credit before we get into our week five NFL bets, which is how we go about things on the Thursday edition of Beat the Closing Number. We'll also be joined by a special guest, Eric Eager from Sumer Sports, one of the sharpest NFL minds around, especially on gambling X is what it's called these days. Thank you very much to Elon Musk. But before we get started, remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever the Lions releases a new sports betting video on any market, including Moe's day-to-day MLB bets and NFL bets, just like this episode of Beat the Closing Number. And we'll also have a special edition previewing the AL and NLDS coming up on Friday, which you could find in this YouTube channel, along with Apple, Spotify, wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcasts. And with that in mind, Mo and I went head-to-head before we get into football with Diamondbacks and Brewers on Wednesday night. Milwaukee surrendered another lead. They stranded the bases loaded three times over those two games without scoring a run. I think they out-hit Arizona in both games. If not, at the very least, it was just in game two. So, congratulations, Mel. I'll give you credit even though I'm still
1: a little salty. I mean, I take no pleasure in being right and you being wrong. I try to talk some sense into you every year on Milwaukee. I try to talk some sense into you on this one. I'm just sad you didn't listen to me, just like you tried to talk some sense into me on the Titans against the Browns. Uh, You know, it's the way it goes sometimes. You don't want to listen to people and... (laughs) World punishes you for being stubborn.
0: (laughs) That's a good way to put it, whether it's sports betting or otherwise. That shows you what kind of guy Mo is to give me credit after I give him credit. What continuity here to start off the podcast. But as a show so far in 2023, we are 11-5. and Unfortunately, that hasn't necessarily been the case in terms of Being super plus, maybe not plus EV, but at least plus in our pockets so far this season. I'm eight and seven with my NFL bets this year. Three and two in week four. Did okay. Lost with the Giants, a live bet on Monday Night Football. That was a horrific game. And for those listening on Thursday, before Thursday Night Football kicks off, hopefully Bears and Commanders is better than what we saw on Monday night. Mo does have a bet in the Lions Discord channel. The link is over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. Mo, how's your season been going so far? And any wise words for our listeners and viewers before we get started?
1: It's been okay. Um, Not exciting either way, I would say. But uh, happy with uh, a few of my futures. I would say happy with more of my futures than not, probably. I think... One interesting thing, I think the Dolphins getting completely wrecked the other day was probably really, really good for my Tua bet. (laughs) Because, like, if he wins MVP, doesn't he just, don't they just give comeback player of the year to somebody else?
0: 100%. I
1: I joke about this with Steven on Twitter, but it could be real if if he actually were to win MVP. And he was favored before last week.
0: Yeah. And now Josh Allen is the favorite. So that's a good segue into the first. Bet that we're going to discuss here in London. Bills against the Jaguars, and it's a Sunday morning kickoff, so it is a standalone game. And luckily, there is no Toy Story theme for this one on ESPN Plus. At least I think so. Is that lucky?
1: Some people like that. I didn't. Did you like it? <laughs> I don't know. The graphics were odd. I thought I, I wasn't like super excited or like thought it was really cool like some people, but. I don't know, whatever. If it gets people to watch the NFL, I guess it's good. I, I, I always feel skeptical about those sorts of things. Like anything that's marketed towards um, getting more people to watch the game, I, I always find them a little bit ham-handed, I guess. And I, I would say this is probably in that category. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm never on
0: Roger Goodell's side, especially when it comes to promoting Taylor Swift on the Instagram handle or Twitter, maybe both. Either way, I hate the Swifties. That's a hot take to start off, beat the closing number. All right. Bills open minus four and a half for a brief period. They are listed as the home team, but obviously with the game being played in London and considering the Jaguars just played a London game against the Falcons, winning that one 30 to seven. I don't know how much home field advantage you want to equate to Buffalo here. Maybe you could break that down. In your analysis, but it's been bet up to Bills minus five and a half. The total is sitting pretty comfortably at 48 and a half. I believe there are some 48s out there too. Buffalo is three and one with that blowout win over the Dolphins last week that you alluded to and they closed two and a half, three point favorites in that game and their offense put on a show. One of the most explosive offenses so far this season. Jacksonville got back to the Mendoza mark covering, like I mentioned three-point spread, maybe three-and-a-half in some some shops, and they did so against the Atlanta Falcons in London. So, Mo, how are you betting Bills and Jags?
1: Well, if you want to give somebody home field, don't you have to give it to the Jags here? <laughs> I mean, they're the ones camped out in London. Very nice spot for them. Um, like I said, the biggest... Travel slash rest advantage we've ever seen in pro football. I mean, this is unprecedented, right? So I don't know how many points to give the Jags here But it's got to be worth a couple points at least not having to fly over the ocean when the other team does right? I mean, so then we just look at that and this line is telling us the bills are a Touchdown plus better than the Jags. I, I just don't know if I can get behind that man I I know the Jags have sucked so far and Nobody was more skeptical of the Jags than me entering last week. I think Um, I finally added a dunce Falcons play when it hit three and a half. I was like, ah, this is too much. The hook is too much. (laughs) It wasn't too much. Okay. Um, I just think the Jags are probably a better team than their metrics. I mean, a lot of mistakes, I think in some of the early games, drops, missed fourth downs, high leverage disasters. Um, And then last week, they, they, I watched a lot of that game, like I said. I mean, I watched as much as I could stomach, to be honest. But yeah, they sleepwalked through half that game. Atlanta, they. it, it was like that Patriots versus Jets game. I think week two it was, or whatever, maybe week three. But it was, it was like that game where they just knew the opposing offense wasn't going to offer an ounce of threat to them. So once they got a pretty big lead, I think they just sleepwalked through a lot of that game. Let's not make any mistakes. Let's punt the ball and not worry yeah. about... You know, just don't make a big mistake. Don't get sacked. Don't throw a pick. We're fine punting the ball back to you with a 10-point lead because we know you can't move the ball, you know? Um, So I I really like the spot for the Jags, honestly, as well. Just like I said, it's a really bad travel spot for the Bills. A lot of injuries on their defense. Jordan Poyer, their other cornerback, Christian Benford, and obviously – Tredavious White, multiple players that could be out or at best, I think not 100%. Greg Rousseau didn't practice. He's one of their better pass rushers. So the defense is really banged up in this spot. Um, And and you know the Jags are going to be super amped for this one, man. They've had so many chances for a statement win the past couple seasons. um, And they kind of keep blowing it. The Chiefs keep wrecking them when they have a chance. So I, I think... The Bills are a little overrated as well in this spot. I and mean, this is just rule of NFL where you just you gotta fade the team that looked the best last week. They're not gonna play as good as they did. And and just matchup wise, I think the Jags secondary has a much better chance, honestly, of slowing down this Bills passing attack, man. I mean, that was embarrassing what Stefan Diggs did to something called Kudu, I think was his name. So <laughs> I'm looking at this uh Jags corners Darius Williams has been incredible this year I saw that he's like one of the top five graded corners and every time I was why he was picking picking people off and making some nice plays uh and then Tyson Campbell solid so I think they can at least not allow these 50 yard you know touchdowns the Bills have been ripping off these past few weeks so we've yet to see the Bills have to like really move the ball with sustained drives honestly (laughs) like the Washington game was a joke, and then they just hit a bunch of big plays on Miami who would just collapse on defense. So I think this game should be should be close. I, five and a half is too much for me. I know our boss, Brett Colson, got six. Kudos to him. I still, think, I still think five and a half is too high. Okay. I make it about five, five and a half, so I don't see a ton of
0: value, at least per my numbers, but... I know you gave Jacksonville secondary credit, but are we giving them too much credit after facing the Falcons? Is my concern and that anemic passing offense to say the least. They went from 23rd in EPA per dropback allowed to 10th. So that kind of shows you how that metric could be a little flawed if you're using it every single week and maybe solely using that metric to handicap the NFL. I kind of like Dalton Kincaid props, especially with how poorly Jacksonville has covered the slot. That would be kind of a look for me if I was trying to bet this game and one particular market. You mentioned Tredavious White. You mentioned how banged up the secondary is. They still have Dane Jackson, who I know you have ridiculed in past Something podcasts. Maybe
1: Dane Jackson.
0: Yes. He's not great, but he is a serviceable cornerback, I think, in nickel situations, assuming the rest of their secondary can play. I think Poirier practiced on Wednesday in limited fashion, which is better than last week. And then the other concern I have with Jacksonville is number 29 in the NFL and pass block win rate. And they're up against a pretty efficient Bills pass rush. I think they dipped a little maybe towards middle of the pack, but still top 12 in the NFL and pressure rate, but potentially getting Von Miller back this week. So that'll certainly improve things. Who knows if he'll be on a limited snap count or play at all, but that's something to monitor on the plus side of Buffalo's injury report. But if you're interested in Jacksonville getting five, five and a half points, I think it's listed at five and a half over at BetMGM Sportsbook. As of this recording, you can head over to BetMGM. And as long as you're at least 21 years old and in a state where it's legal, you could sign up. With BetMGM, bet legally, use BetMGM bonus code, the lines, when creating your account. You'll get up to $1,500 back as a bonus bet if your first bet loses. Terms and conditions apply. More details over at thelines.com. So we touched on the Falcons a little bit with your handicap with Jags and Falcons last week. Now I'm looking at Falcons Texans, which I brought up on the Monday edition of Beat the Closing Number. Falcons sitting at minus one and a half after the London game, which is not a good spot for Atlanta coming back to the States, even though it's at home, total of between 41 and 41 and a half. But I'm not going with the same angle that I mentioned on the Monday edition to Beat the Closing Number because A, I don't love to bet a team that just played in London. And I mentioned that I was considering backing the Falcons. But it's hard to back an offense that could be a little sluggish after playing in a completely different time zone the week before. But I do have a... Decent enough edge with a total in this game, and I'm kind of surprised at that. But if you look at CJ Stroud, the Texans' quarterback, rookie quarterback, who's now the offensive rookie of the year favorite, and he's been fantastic over the last three weeks. Top 10 EPA per dropback and success rate. And the Texans should be getting back Laramie Tunsil and Titus Howard on their offensive line. I don't know how much I love. Howard at left guard, though. He was their right tackle last year. And because of the Kendrick Green injury, along with Quisenberry, their center, both being out for the season, Howard is now being shifted along in the offensive line, which isn't his natural position. So that's something to keep in mind. But we don't know how up to speed those guys are going to be. And the Texans are going up against a top 10 pressure rate and hurry rate. When you think about Jarrett and Onyemata, two of the better pass rushers, along the defensive front, really in the league. I mean, that's how Atlanta is built to win games, and the trenches on both sides of the ball. And Stroud has the 24th rated adjusted completion percentage under pressure this season. So, while the Steelers were a tough matchup in the same sense, I also wonder how focused Pittsburgh was in that game, considering they had Baltimore on deck, just one two in a row. Not that I'm calling that game a wash, because the Steelers' offense was Horrifying, but the Texans also got the benefit of a ton of takeaways. I think three turnovers from Pittsburgh, which really isn't predictive of anything like we talk about on each Beat the Closing Number episode. And like I mentioned, too, with this Atlanta offensive line, I think they could have their way with a Texans defense that ranks 25th in EPA per carry allowed. So that kind of negates some of the negative potential plays for Ritter even though he ranks, I think, dead last or second to last in big-time throw rate versus turnover-worthy throw rate. So assuming the turnovers kind of regress in the opposite way for the Texans, and maybe the Falcons are able to limit some of Ritter's mistakes by running the ball, which equates to a more positive game script and slows down the clock, or speeds up the clock, I guess, in the process, which favors the under, I took a piece of under 41 and a half yesterday mode which you can find in our discord channel over at the lines.com any thoughts on the total here
1: not many i'm not good at betting <laughs> totals so it's hard for me i mean sometimes i i see a good spot and I, and I have a decent read and i feel good but honestly it hasn't been something i've been good at over the years um i, I think early in the season is honestly the best time to bet totals. Uh, I feel like you can go with a lot of your preseason priors for multiple weeks before things start adjusting. Um, And I guess my preseason prior was that the Falcons might have the worst offense in the NFL and uh, well, passing offense anyway. And I think I've been proven right in that sense. Maybe not all the way right. I would say it'd be hard to be worse than Carolina, to be honest. But I mean, the Falcons are right down there with anybody else besides Carolina. They're bottom five for sure at passing the ball. Um, If they can move the ball, Running, then I think you're in business here because we're gonna see some long, slow drives, uh, bleeding the clock. What we don't want in at least for you, I think, is must pass situations for Desmond Ritter. We don't want to see third and yes. long. We don't want to see uh CJ Stroud in must pass situations either. I think, even though he's been really good at limiting turnovers, man, Jesse Bates has been reading these young quarterbacks' minds. It's scary how he's jumping some of these routes on these kids uh, clearly the guy digests his film. I will say that. And, uh, yeah, I think you need offenses to be staying on schedule in this game. Uh, and then you'll be in good shape, I think. Uh, but overall in this game, I would lean Atlanta, um, against the spread. I like, I don't know. I I just, this line was three last week. I, I think it's my probably okay value and, But yeah, like you said, Houston, it'll be interesting to see what happens with their offensive line. I didn't realize that Titus Howard was moving to guard, so um, I did see that he was coming back hopefully this week. Uh, I still have the Texans like 24th in power ranking. I I really like what Stroud's doing, and I was high on him coming into the season, but Atlanta's defense is very tough.
0: 100%. And you mentioned Jesse Bates that played a big role in my bet from the preseason on the Bengals' win total under they lost both of their starting safeties, Bates and Von Bell to Carolina. So third game we're going to discuss, Mo. Eagles at Rams, Philly favored by four and a half on the road, total of 50, as high as 50. I think there are some 49 and a half still out there in the market. I think I saw
1: 50 and a half this morning when I was looking.
0: Okay. So it continues to be on its way up at maybe a shop or two. Jalen Hurts, we've hit on this pretty much every podcast of the season here on Beat the Closing Number. Big-time step-back for Hertz. Ranks 22nd in the league in drop-back success rate. And Philadelphia's secondary has also slid back. They ranked number one in EPA per drop-back allowed last year. They ranked 20th, so below average and a little bit more than that this season. Really failing to limit explosive passing plays. How are you betting Eagles and Rams, Mo?
1: Yeah, I think it's a little early for, and I told you so, on Jalen Hurts. But I'm definitely leaning that way. Uh, I've never been high on Hertz. I don't think that he's a particularly good quarterback. Uh, I think he's fine, but getting some definite like Russell Wilson vibes this year where he's just like hitting a lot of big plays. So his EPA is like pretty decent, but like you said, the down to down consistency hasn't there, hasn't been there. Uh, when I've been watching Eagles startling amount, I would say of third and longs, uh, pretty frequently uh for a team that runs the ball as well as them that's very surprising but but when you're just having this many incomplete passes it keeps you behind schedule um and yeah i I think my eyes tell me that hurts hasn't been very good this year and pff is not a fan of his work so far and i'm not a pff gospel type of guy by any stretch of the imagination but I think his 73 passing grade is more than fair. I don't think he's been very good so far this year. Um, possible that uh, not as much synergy with his coordinator as he had last year. Uh, man, I mean, how impressed you have to be with these coordinators that left? I, I mean, with the Eagles, this this that is a legendary coaching staff they had last year, man. So I think it's fair to think that the Eagles are going to continue being not in the same sort of tier they were last year on offense um and overall we just haven't seen the eagles honestly play that great of football so far I, I don't think a lot of people are talking about it because they're 4-0 but they've had one strong performance and that was when they destroyed tampa bay which i totally saw that one coming it was a great matchup for them but other than that i mean eagles haven't really dominated people um and i as far as the way the eagles play defense i mean i've definitely noticed like holes in the middle of the field specifically and that's where matt stafford is always so so good and has been so so good the last uh few weeks so i, I think these like poor epa per play numbers by their defense I think they're like 20th against the pass even though and you know that's not a schedule adjusted stat like they have not faced a lot of good passing offenses I, I think this is a beatable secondary with weak coverage linebackers and i like the rams here man i mean I know that they're going to be potentially wrecked up front by the pass rush, so that's obviously the major concern. But uh, I'm hoping Sean McVay can can have a plan. I mean, we could see Cooper Cup in here too, and, and that, that would give them multiple weapons to attack this middle of the field. So uh, I think worst-case scenario, at least the back door should be open the way it kind of was against San Francisco.
0: Yeah, no, great points on your end. Cup coming off the PUP list. We don't know yet for sure if he's going to be on a limited snap count or not. Matt Stafford practicing in full on Wednesday with that hip injury, so that's a good sign for you. And then the point that you brought up, Rams rank 29th in the league of 32 teams in pass block win rate, and you're going up against an elite Eagles pass rush. But on the flip side, LA secondary kind of outperforming the expectations through four games. Darion Kendrick has been really good. I think he allowed no receptions on two targets last week against the Colts. But then you keep in mind that the Rams faced Geno Smith. And I don't know really what to make of that week one performance from Seattle's offense, although they haven't really been consistent overall this season. Got the benefit of the Giants offensive line for sure. On Monday night, you faced a banged up Joe Burrow and then Anthony Richardson, who maybe got the benefit of some prevent defense from the Rams down the stretch. He did put on an impressive performance for sure in the second half. And then they also rank 18th in dropback EPA allowed. So I definitely lean towards the Rams here. I don't know if I'm going to bet it just yet, but definitely agree with your analysis. And then really quickly before we get to our guest, Mo, I'm taking a look at Broncos against the Jets. Denver laying two, two and a half. This line dipped to one and a half. Last night, or earlier yesterday afternoon, I grabbed Denver minus one and a half. Of course, the headline's going to be Nathaniel Hackett revenge game against Sean Payton for his off-season comments, calling Hackett's coaching job last year as one of the worst coaching performances in NFL history. Take that as you wish, but I do think the adjustment was a little much, even though the Broncos. Certainly got a little bit lucky in Chicago last week. I'm glad you had the hook with the Bears plus three and a half as Denver overcame a twenty eight to seven deficit. But I do think and I'm curious to get our guest perspective on this too here in a in a couple minutes. I thought the commentary on Zach Wilson on Sunday night football was a little much. I mean he ranked with the fourth lowest drop-back success rate in week four. So while he did help the Jets come back, they got the benefit of the whistle, I thought, in that first half, whether it was the holding call that either should have been called to the end zone or was just outside of it that resulted in the safety. There was also the horse-collar tackle that wasn't really a horse-collar tackle that set the Jets up, and they ended up scoring a touchdown plus the two-point conversion on that drive. So I think the market is giving the jets a little bit too much credit, even though the chiefs got the benefit of the whistle potentially in the final three minutes or so of that game. And then the Broncos pass defense is also getting a little healthier. When you think about Justin Simmons, likely being back at safety, he's missed the last two and a half games, including the second half collapse against the commanders. And then they're also getting pass rush help a with the release of Randy Gregory, who has been a ghost pretty much, over the first four games, and then seemingly getting Frank Clark back. I know you've had maybe some egregious comments towards Clark during his Chiefs tenure, but I think he's a better presence than Gregory, at least what Gregory showed over the first four weeks. Jets passing defense is also not super healthy, Likely no DJ Reed, who's still in concussion protocol and pretty thin at cornerback outside of Sauce Gardner. And they've still allowed the sixth highest EPA per drop back and success rate so far this season. So despite the talent in that secondary, it hasn't really resulted in a positive showing in EPA per play allowed to opposing quarterbacks. Russell Wilson has played well all year. I know you maybe don't agree with the stats, so far this season, because of how his explosive plays kind of enlarge that, maybe and highlighted it a little too much, but still has the fourth highest dropback EPA plus C P O E composite ranking this year. So any quick thoughts on Jets Broncos before we get to our guest,
1: Mel? Uh yeah, I my thoughts are that I think I'm a fan of this play. I think Denver should be probably a minus three, like they were in the look ahead markets. I know they still have one of the worst defenses on the planet, but I just love fading Zach Wilson after what I think is the game of his life, basically. And now traveling a long trip here against and going to a tough place to play. Uh, And and yeah, like Russ, I mean, he's been kind of good. I mean, but my only fear here is just Honestly, that Brees maybe runs wild on this pathetic Broncos defense. Uh, I know we don't talk much running backs on here, but I think Brees is a legitimate positive and And Dalvin Cook is an extremely large negative. So uh, I'd be worried about Brees ripping off some long runs against a defense that honestly has quit multiple times in the past like season plus. Uh, so hopefully no... Um, early deficit for the Broncos, right? Be a little bit worried there.
0: So those are our bets for the NFL Week 5 slate. Now we're joined by the guest I mentioned earlier, Eric Eager. You can follow him on Twitter, at Eric Eager, underscore the vice president of Sumer Sports and one of the best NFL minds around, not only when it comes to handicapping the National Football League. How's your betting season been going so far, Eric? And as always, thank you for joining us.
2: The, the the season has been interesting so far i've had to um i i think things are much more uncertain than you imagine right like the you guys just got done talking about the eagles uh when i got on here um you know a team like the bengals those are two teams that i think many people had firmly in the top tier of each conference that are that even though the the eagles are 4 and 0 uh i think you have to add some noise to that um there have been some teams like uh baltimore and detroit that you were kind of Wait and see approach on that have that have I think confirmed some uh, some positive priors for for many in the industry. Uh, it's been a, it's been a very interesting one. The, the Arizona Cardinals being more competitive than some other teams that have uh, you know that had real aspirations this year like Chicago uh, and Carolina um, that has been interesting as well. So it, it's been a fun uh, season at the quarter pole.
0: And you guys have your own analytics department over at Sumer Sports, so I think that's a good place to start. Maybe the biggest adjustments, either in a positive sense or the other way around, that you've made personally with your power ratings.
2: Yeah, it's Baltimore for me. Um, just because I, you know, for one, they they've overcome the injuries this year. I think a little bit better than they have in the past. I mean, a season, a couple, the last two seasons has been, you know miss the playoffs in 2021 lose out after starting eight and three last year they did make the playoffs at 10 and seven but it was you know kind of a limping in variety they did play a hard game uh, against Cincinnati I thought that they were very competitive there and you fast forward to this year and you're like you know you miss Mark Andrews at the very beginning uh you know you, you lose Marcus Williams uh you have yet to see uh Marlon Humphrey offensive line's been banged up and you know, Lamar Jackson has just continued to do the things that he's supposed to do. Zay Flowers has been really good underneath as well as over the top when they've taken their shots there. Uh, I still think there's some meat on the bone on that offense as well. They lost just uh, J.K. Dobbins as well. The, the If they get healthy, I think they'll be pretty solid. The issue is, is you know, health has almost always failed them in the second half of the year it's failed them in the first half of this year and yet they've still been able to to win and cover numbers that to me has been the most surprising part of the first half of the year and where i've I've adjusted my numbers the most
1: i think eli is very happy to hear that maybe this (laughs) is the year he's finally right on the ravens i would like that for him uh for this week let's start on the biggest game of the week um 49ers Cowboys obviously a game pretty much everybody has circled even in prime time to boot uh Eli and I kind of thought maybe some Cowboys action would come in move this a little bit down to three it has not happened I'm even seeing some fours I think so uh what are your thoughts on that game
2: yeah look ahead was closer to a pick but we've seen you know a little bit uh, of support for San Francisco um now four, it started at four. We have it's more of a of a true three and a half in the market. So there is some support for Dallas when it gets to four. Um, when I look at this game, I think okay, Brock Purdy has been fantastic, first in EPA per play. Um, you know, McCaffrey. Many people are talking about him as a possible league MVP candidate given what he's accomplished, even at the running back position. The the defense I think has. Kind of hidden a little bit by behind the fact that they and the Dallas have the two easiest schedules in the NFL so far. Um, You know Arizona's moved the ball on both of these teams. the 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 big thing for me is I do think that Dallas has the goods defensively to hold Purdy down a little bit. Um, He's scored thirty or more points in every single start that he's finished, except for the game last year against Dan Quinn uh, and the Dallas Cowboys at home in the playoffs. I I think that that's similarly here. And so when when I look at this game and why I like Dallas, it's like. The defense for Dallas is slightly better at creating turnovers, they're better at sack rates. and I know those things are a little bit noisy, but they they have some real fun, you know good fundamentals there for for Dallas. And then when I look at the quarterbacks, like I just think Dak Prescott is much better than Brock Purdy, and if we get in a situation where there are two quarterbacks facing tough defenses, I'm going to take the better overall quarterback than the guy that's, you know, frankly propped up by an amazing Hall of Fame caliber, you know, offensive mind in Kyle Shanahan.
0: One follow-up there before we get over to Chiefs and Vikings. How concerned are you with the injuries on Dallas's offensive line with Tyrone Smith and Zach Martin? If they, I mean, if the practice report injury report doesn't go as well as Cowboys betters would like over the next couple days,
2: yeah, it would certainly keep me from like let's say if 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 it did get down to three and you know later in the week when obviously limits are higher, like you don't. It would keep me off of that for sure. I think three and a half is still playable, even with offensive line injuries. Dak does a good job of processing, and I, you know, and and San Francisco is pretty good up front. Um, but I think Mike McCarthy has always done a pretty good job of being able to mitigate those things. Um, and, and and frankly, I think Mike McCarthy, other than in the red zone, and that's another part that I like about Dallas. You know, Dallas has scored all these points and won all these games in some part because of noisy defensive scores, but also in spite of the fact that they haven't been able to really score at the prolific rate that they should be in the red zone. If those things regress, like I think, you know, I think that there's, there's more meat on the bone for Mike McCarthy, frankly. And I, and I think that he'll, he's capable of it for sure.
1: Well, moving over to our chiefs, I think I'm allowed to say that. I think you're a chiefs fan like me, Mm -hmm. if if I recall correctly. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, and you're a Husker like me. We got a lot in common.
2: Here we go, right there.
1: (laughs) Glory days. Um, Really good matchup, I think, for the Chiefs this week. Uh, Seems like the market really likes the Vikings. I'm actually kind of fascinated there. I think this maybe moved from five all the way to three and a half so far, or at least four and a half. I kind of want to love the Chiefs here. I just feel like they match up really well against the Vikes, and people are a little bit down on the Chiefs after kind of a sleepy win over the Jets. Uh, what are your thoughts on this spot? And also, I was curious what you thought about the Chiefs in general so far. I feel like a lot of people are a little more down on the Chiefs than they probably should be, given what's happened so far.
2: Yeah. So look ahead on this game was six, um, which kind of I, my my number makes it five. Um, so six would have been an attractive number for me to take, uh, you know, on the look ahead line. Um, and now, yeah, you you've seen a lot of Viking support, even all the way back to the Mike Zimmer era. Um, you know, in the markets. And that certainly is something that, uh, you know, is happening here. Um, the, the one thing that I do like, so now that it's down in that four to, in, in your and range, like you do have to start considering Kansas city. Um, the, what's usually pretty good about Patrick Mahomes is how good he is against the blitz. Uh, and Brian Flores blitzes a lot. The Vikings don't really have the personnel to blitz as much as they do, but they also don't have the personnel to really play defense the way that anybody does. They're just simply not good there. Mahomes against the Blitz um, this season, uh, you know, 13-23, uh, to 23, 167, a touchdown, no interceptions. If you look back to 2022 against the Blitz, 20 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, 7.5 yards per pass attempt. Uh, and a quarterback rating, uh, let me find this over here, of 108.9. So he he's a guy where I think most defenses wouldn't want to blitz him. The Vikings do this kind of weird thing where they blitz, but they also try to play two high safeties, which means that there's a lot of intermediate stuff. The Chiefs so far this year, basically the same production out of the wide receivers for the first four weeks as they got last year, which is not much. Um, the, the difference has been that Travis Kelsey's production has not been as high as the first four weeks last year. And even if you fold in Noah Gray it's kind of this, you know, it, it's still kind of, it's still down. And that's why the Chiefs offense is averaging 25 points a game this year. Whereas before, like last season, the first four weeks, 32 points. And it's almost, it's always been over 30 points in the first four weeks in Patrick Mahomes' career. So they're, they're certainly lagging behind. I think the Vikings are really a slump buster for the Chiefs offensively here. Um, and even if you don't want to lay the three and a half, there's so many ways to, to sort of like, the Chiefs getting off of the Schneid offensively in this game. Uh, something like T.J. Hawkinson over receptions is always a good play if you think the Vikings are going to be trailing. Um, you know J- Jefferson props Cousins over interceptions. Um, the one thing that's changed in the Kevin O'Connell era with Kirk Cousins is when Mike Zimmer was the head coach, even when they were behind, Kirk Cousins was deathly afraid of throwing an interception for fear of being basically you know taken to the woodshed when he would get off the field. Uh, Kevin O'Connell has given uh Kirk Cousins the license to be a little bit more aggressive. And as such, you've seen more interceptions. Um, you've seen more aggressiveness out of him. The Chiefs have a very good defense, obviously, with, with McDuffie, the number one corner uh per PFF. Like I, I think I think it's if you don't like to if you don't want to lay the Chiefs, you don't want to take the over in the game, I think that there are ways to bet the Chiefs as you know, at performing better offensively. And it's on the other side. It's the Vikings putting up the stats, stats, stats that Kirk likes to put up when they're trailing by multiple scores.
0: Yeah, you love tweeting about that. Also <laughs> got to give you credit. I don't know if we're going to talk about panthers lines on this episode of Beat the Closing Number, but restore the roar. Eric definitely deserves props for that sane phrase going back to last season as he's been on the Lions bandwagon for probably longer than anybody with the exception of Joey Knish. At least that's his nickname. (laughs) I digress. Eric, want to follow up with you on the Vikings really quick before we get into one or two or maybe three other matchups, depending on how much time we have. The market is so fascinating to watch just how they gauge Minnesota going back to last season when they bet against them consistently. I know I was a part of that. Mo definitely was too. And the Vikings definitely got the benefit of a doubt when it came to positive variants. Now, Turnovers haven't gone their way this year. Kirk Cousins staring down a receiver last week, resulting in the pick six. Definitely didn't aid that category, but like you said, he likes to pad up his stats, especially late in games when they're trailing. Hello, week two against the Philadelphia Eagles, even though they did backdoor cover that one. But what do you make of the market and the perception that Minnesota may get some positive variance in the coming weeks, despite... The fact that maybe the negative variance is just coming in a wind a storm this season after what they underwent last year.
2: Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I I have my my power ratings. I have my, my you know the the ones that are on SumerSports.com, uh, which you can go and look at. That are Elo ratings. Kind of you know went into the year with the Vikings as a 7.9 win team. That's obviously gone down because of the results. They basically. You know, in my mind, though, and I also have power rankings where I add some subjective and some scouting elements to it. And those power ratings have not changed. I've made the Vikings zero points relative to an average team on a neutral field every single week this season. And that's basically gone that way, right? I mean, if you if you basically have tracked it that way, you've been on market like the whole year. And and this is one where this maybe tracks as the Vikings being a little bit better than an average team on a neutral field, which I get. The problem is... it. I just don't think that they're good enough defensively to to run through a schedule. So, for example, you look at their schedule now. They have Kansas City. I mean, they're they're at risk of starting one and four. They go to Chicago, which they've won there a few years in a row. But they they once went like twenty years where they have won twice uh, in that field. So it's not necessarily clear to me that that one's a gimme. Um, they are four and a half point favorites there on the look ahead line. Then at San Francisco, Green Bay, Atlanta, New Orleans, they probably have to go two and two in those games just to stay, you know, sort of with it. And when you think about where this season is, as far as Quaysha Mensa for the first time in the Kirk Cousins era is leaving him on a contract year, um, and he's only being paid ten million dollars additional money this year uh, during the season, so that's that's all that a trading team would have to pay him. Like there's a chance if you look at Atlanta, if you look at New York Jets, let's say the Jets win this week, uh, against against Denver, like there are options for the Vikings should they start one and four. Quasey has done this, right? He moved off of Dalvin Cook, he moved off of uh, you know, uh he's moved off of uh, you know, other players that have been you know, Adam Thielen, for example, and I, I could see them. Like, if I was looking long-term for the Vikings, there's just too many possible variants to me. Even though they are right now, I think, a league average team, there could be a situation where their schedule just is not conducive for them actually trying to win the rest of the year. And so, to me, I think it's just a really wait-and-see approach for them. I I, I think you're if they get to November the way they are with the record close to 500, then yeah, I buy into them. I just don't think that that's necessarily all that possible, nor do I think that they're going to continue to keep trying like they did in the in the Spielman and Zimmer days, even when they are well below 500, uh, to claw back into the race.
1: Well, let's hope for the sake of my season-long bets that he doesn't get traded to Atlanta, because that would be a large upgrade for Atlanta. <laughs> um, speaking of Atlanta, that was another game we wanted to hit. Eli already touched on it. He's a fan of a wager on the total under... Uh, What do you make of that game? I mean, Desmond Ritter obviously been horrific. So it's really tough to read what's going to happen with the Falcons. Honestly, I think just because they're so, like, game-state dependent. Like, if they're trailing, they're just a complete disaster, and you can pretty much live bet any number against them almost.
2: Yeah, interesting. So they're 1-3 and to the total over, and the only other one was actually a situation. I was at that game. Um, where they were trailing 24-12 to the Packers and actually came back and won. Ritter made one or two throws. The Packers kind of wind-aided Then They didn't have Aaron Jones. They tried to run it with Dylan. They got the ball back a few times. Um, this week specifically, look, I make the game three, and I know I'm probably I, – I know I'm off-market. I know I'm against a lot of people who I respect in the industry. A lot of people have taken Houston. Um, I, I think if all you did was grade the first four games, I think Houston's the favorite in this game. But because, you know, you have priors and you have – you know, the fact that at some point Arthur Smith's gonna wake up, rub his eyes, and realize he's got three top ten picks to throw the, to give the ball to, uh, I think that they're bound to they're bound to be good. The other part is, and you know, CJ Stroud's been good. Like usually when a, a young quarterback, you say they're encouraging, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're good. Um, you know, Stroud's been good. However, I don't know how long you can rely on big plays to tank Dell and Nico Collins um, behind an offensive line that's getting healthier, but it's still uh, the it, injury. There's the injuries there have clustered up. Like I, I'm just gonna fade Houston in this game more than I'm gonna like Atlanta, just because I think Houston's riding high, um, and I also think Atlanta's gonna throw the kitchen sink here. They're at home. They have the easiest schedule moving forward. The Texans have the third easiest schedule moving forward, and so if they continue to push. Uh, You know, the team that goes three and two here is going to be in the driver's seat for the playoffs. And so I I think that if Arthur Smith was holding anything back right now, uh, I think he's going to let it all out uh, come, come Sunday.
0: I think we're on the same page then in terms of how we're handicapping this one, all three of us, really, because I think the Falcons have the mismatch in the trenches on both sides of the ball with their offensive line and then their defensive front against, like you said, a jumbled up. Texans offensive line that even though they're getting back Tunsell seemingly and Titus Howard back this week, they're still banged up at other spots and Howard is also moving out of position. So I hope we're both right. I hope the Falcons win and cover because I think the total will go under if that happens if they're playing with a positive game script. I think. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. If you see me bitching on Twitter, then I apologize. Last game we're going to discuss. stayed in the AFC South. Titans at Colts. This is another fascinating game from a market standpoint because Indy got steamed up, I think. I think this opened around a pick and then it got boosted towards Indianapolis or maybe it opened Indy minus one, then it shifted to Colts minus one and a half, but it's moved back the other direction completely. The Titans are just under a field goal favorite on the road, so the market has either there was a little bit of a head fake or Tennessee steam is just come in and then some. So how are you handicapping a huge matchup in the AFC South? You already brought up how the Texans have a pretty favorable schedule moving forward. Yet this entire division is sitting at two and two.
2: Yeah, the whole division kind of has an easy schedule. It's just that the Texans have the easiest. Um, I have actually, it's funny. Like you, you come up with things. I this week, I I think that the the ti- the Titans are basically. If the Titans were a number, the Chargers would be one divided by that number. They're just like the complete opposite teams. Like the Titans and, and Chargers are rant like they they vary at week to week in really strange ways. The Titans got their doors blown off by the Browns team that you know whose quarterback isn't particularly good, great defense. Then they go and they they kick the crap out of the the Bengals. Um, and, and so I just don't know. They they're a team that like the Chargers will disappoint you the Titans will surprise you, but they do it in like equally variable ways. And so I don't know, like, I, I I like how Henry played last week. He's, he had a really slow start to the season prior to that. Um, Traylon Burks, you know, that the health there is a problem. Um, DeAndre Hopkins has not been the kind of player I think that they decided, they they, they thought they were going to get the old line has gotten a little bit better, but I, I tend to think also that Cincinnati kind of was out of bullets there. Um, so the big thing is Anthony Richardson. How well can Anthony Richardson play? Do they get behind early? Um, does Jonathan Taylor play? Can he offer something to, above what even Zach Moss is doing in the run game, which has been good stuff? I, I don't really have an opinion on this game. I do. If you told me, like you said, Eli, either direction, minus 2.5 or plus 2.5 in either direction, I'd be okay with it. It's probably a good teaser leg. Total's not particularly high. Um, so I, I, to me, it's probably a teaser leg at best. Uh, with either one of these teams depending upon um, which one you're getting at that one and a half two and a half if you can Wong tease through two through three and seven
0: love the breakdowns on all the games and really just market perception when it came to the Ravens and the Vikings Eric Eager at Eric Eager underscore vice president of Sumer sports one of the best NFL minds around thank you so much for joining us hey, take on care, this guys. episode of beat the closing number Appreciate it. That's Eric Eager, and that's going to do it for this edition of Beat the Closing Number. You can follow Mo on Twitter at @monowara. Follow the lines on Twitter at thelinesus. We'll be back on Friday here on the lines YouTube channel, breaking down the AL and NLDS. Thanks for watching and listening to this edition of Beat the Closing Number. Remember to head over to the lines Discord channel to get the rest of our bets over at thelines.com. So long, everybody.